Alright, Shabbos Sai, good morning, good morning. Let us, let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of ER. Stephen Terry's in for dedicating all the Shemans Rushos this month in honor of their newest grandson, Matan Shmuel Aaron. I hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah. Ultimately, this young man will be and grow to be an incredible Ben Torah and the merits of a source of nachos for his family, Admeh Ve'esim Sharnim Tobos. Well, with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. Today's daf is Chof Zayin 27. We have the Schos of Merit Hashem to be able to go ahead and finish the parak today as well. So we are beginning, we are starting off on daf Chof Vav Amadez 26b. And we left off, we left off, oh, I left you on a cliffhanger yesterday. Of Ein Znus Right, so again, remember again, we're trying to figure out a case in which if he delivered a kinui, right, he delivered a warning regarding a particular person, so it would be ineffective. So the Gemara was trying to go through an entire list. So Amra Papa, let's just pick up with this. Amra Papa, it's uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 21 lines up from the bottom. Amra Papa, let me uti behemo. Papa says this comes to exclude a behemoth, that if he was a mechanic, if he warned her, ultimately again about a behemoth, ultimately again it would not be an effective kinui. Why? Because in znos behemoth, there is no concept of znos ultimately by an animal. I will say, so again, as we pointed out, there's bestiality by an animal, but there's not znos by an animal. Ultimately, again, from where is the following idea that the Rabbanon say, Eiznus Bebehema, Dechsev lo savi esnon zona, umichir kelef. Pasik says, well, this is very interesting, they're talking about the prohibition for Karbanos to bring in esnon zona. So we'll say esnon zona is if, let's say, a person went to a zone and he gave her a sheep, he gave her a sheep for services, right? That's called an esnon zona. That cannot be brought as a Karban. And Mechir kelef. Mechir Kelev is if you exchanged a dog for a sheep. So again, that exchanged, that exchanged sheep, so to speak, not so to speak, that exchanged sheep could not be brought as a carbon. Since in Britannia, we learned, Esnon Kelev, O Mechir Zona, so this is interesting case, Esnon Kelev is, if ultimately Rashi says, Adam Omer Lezona, Helech Tala V'Boyli Lekalbi, the man says to a Zona, take this sheep, take this sheep, and have znus with, with my dog, then ultimately again, u mechir zona, mechir zona, ultimately Rashi says over here, shifcha zona, betala, if a person had a shifcha was a zona, and ultimately exchanged that shifcha for a sheep, those, interestingly enough, would not be prohibited. So, we'll say, so the reverse cases would not be prohibited. So the Gemara says, shnei emar, gam shneihem, because the Pasuk says these two items, shnaim, it means two and not four. So the prohibition ultimately, again, only applies to Esnan Zona and Nechir Kelev. Now we'll say, what do you see from that? What do you see from that? You see from that over here that, interestingly enough, if a man were to go ahead and give the Zona, right? Go ahead and take this sheep, right? To have, to have Znus with this, with this dog, Ultimately, the sheep would be permitted as a carbon. Interestingly enough, which shows you that what? That ultimately, again, the bia with the behemoth does not constitute an act of znos. That was just a long proof to say that bia with a behemoth does not constitute an act of znos. 
So the Gemara says, So I will say, so what does the phrase Sheikh Vazera in the case of Sota, what does it come to teach me? So me boy lechidisanyo, Sheikh Vazera, prak lidavra acher. Ultimately, I'm going to say, so Sheikh Vazera comes to exclude something else. My davra acher, Amr Avshesh is prak, the Shekinova Shiloki Darka. We'll say, interesting case. What happens if Halacha Lamaisa, a husband specifically warned his wife regarding Bia Shiloki Darka? He went ahead and she went, he went ahead. This was the warning, right? Don't be alone with Shimon. In order that you not come to be a Shiloki Darka, very, obviously a very specific type of Kinui. Formerly Rabba, why, I don't understand why should that be a problem. In other words, why should that be an ineffective Kinui? Shiloki Darka, Mishkavei Ishak Siv. I both say the Torah outlined that there are two, there are two types of Bia. And both halachically, again, are looked at as legitimate forms of bia, bia kidarka, bia shalokidarka. So ultimately, again, why why would that not be a proper kinui? To which the Gemara says, Ela Amarava prat the shekinala darach evarim. Shabbos so say interesting case. What happens if he delivered the warning, but ultimately, again, not for bia, but for touching? Just for touching, in other words, he went. That's that's lashon of derech evarim. He went ahead and he gave the kinu again. I'm not worried that there's going to be bia. Red Reuben says, "I'm not worried there's going to be bia." But ultimately, again, I prohibit you from being alone from Shimon unless you come to touching. So I both say again, as wrong as touching may be, but lamaisa, that's not an act of znos. That's an act of pritzos. Which is actually interesting from a halachic perspective to distinguish between the concept of znos and the concept of pritzos. Right? Ultimately, again, znos is a punishable offense. Pritzos, pritzos, it's interesting because in English, we often translate them both as immorality. Right? But, but in fact, znos ultimately, again, is a punishable, actionable behavior versus pritzos, which would be considered to be more in the realm of inappropriate conduct. Or pritzos in the asr Did the Torah prohibit pritzos? In other words, I will say, the answer to that is yes. Of course, Balamaisi, with Gemara, is asking from a legal perspective, did the Torah prohibit pritzos? El Amra Abaye Prat L'Shekina La Beneshika. Ultimately, I'm going to say, this is actually very interesting. So again, getting incredibly specific over here. So Rashi says over here, Beneshika, Mashik Hashamish Ba'osam Makom. What happens ultimately, again, if the husband specifically delivers a kinoi? Again, I will say, these are a bit exaggerated cases, but Lamaise said there to make a particular point. What happens if Halacha Lamaise said the husband went ahead and delivered a kinoi for what we call Nashika? Literally, again, he explicitly says that I prefer you to be alone with Shimon, lest there be contact, contact between the Makom Mila and the Makom Erva. Makom, again, love daf connect of right? But Lamaise again, contact. Contact, touching, touching of, of, again of those two makomos. So the Gemara says, "Hani chalaman damar haara zuhach nasa ateres ava asur atara ava nashika ava lo klob." So we'll say that makes sense according to the opinion that says that bia by definition is penetration, but lamaisa again the shika, which just means again a touching of the makom mila and the makom erva, does not constitute an act of bia. So therefore, the Pasuk is coming to say that if he warned her regarding the Shika, ultimately, again, it's not a problem, right? Because Lamaisa, that would not constitute an act of Bia. But according to the opinion that says that initial Bia is considered, or I should say, the Shika, right? Even the touching of the Makom Mila to the Makom Erva 
ultimately, again, would constitute an act of Bia. So what is there to say? In other words, that should definitely be a proper Kinui. To which the Gemara says, the Olam, the Shekinu, to which the Gemara says, you're right, again, what are we talking about over here? Where ultimately, again, he went ahead and he delivered a Kinui for what we call Derech Eivarim. So Rabbi said, Derech Eivarim, Derech Eivarim ultimately means, Derech Eivarim means that he went ahead and he delivered the Kinui Ultimately, again, for touching. So that little, that's what he says. This, he says, Ruben Strachel, don't be alone with Shimon, as I don't want, I don't want any touching. So the Gemara says, Uma, so, so, Mose, so again, remember, we said before, we said before, that Allah that is not going to constitute a, a proper kinui. Why? Because ultimately, again, that is, that will be prisos. That will not be znos. And therefore, again, in order for a kinui to be proper, it has to be about znos. To which the Gemara says, Umad the so what would you have thought? Bikpeda the Baal Talirachmana. Well, say, I would have thought that, remember again, what, what, what is the whole essence of kinui? The whole essence of kinui is that the husband is bothered by something in his wife's behavior. So maybe he has the right to frame the kinui as he sees fit. And if he's bothered by this, by, by this pritzos, Maybe that has the ability to go ahead and affect a proper kinui, to which the Gemara says, Ubal ha kapit, no. said, that's not the case. And that a kinui, as much as a kinui, of course, is at the discretion of the husband, but Lamaisa, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it has to be regarding a halachic act of znus, something that is not halachically actionable, right? As much as it may be inappropriate, Lamaisa again cannot generate the kinui. So, so that's, that's the conclusion of the Gemara. In order for there to be a kinui, there has to be something actionable. Something actionable is defined as a halachically recognized act of znus. But something ultimately, again, that's what we call pritsusa ba'alma. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. But not legally actionable. Ultimately, again, that cannot generate a kinui. Fascinating. All right, so we'll say it's a little bit of a, of a detour over here. Amar Shmuel. So we'll say really, really interesting here. Really interesting Gemara now. Yisa Adam Duma, top of Chavzayim. Yisa Adam Duma, va'al Yisa Bas Duma. It is better for a person to marry a woman who is a Duma than to marry the daughter of a Duma. And I will say, what's a Duma? Look at Rashi, top Rashi Chavzayim, Amdalif. Nit enes v'nedaberes b'thi kol alni ufeh. We'll say, Duma is a woman who is known to be immoral. Known to be immoral. Now again, I want to say, how is she known to be immoral? We're not talking about a situation where Lamaise again, there's Hasra and Edim, because again, once again, that becomes then an actionable offense. But rather again, everyone speaks about her immorality. So we'll say, there's a concept in Halacha of a call. A call means a rumor. So there are different types of rumors. There are rumors that are just that rumors. And there are rumors that are so widespread and so embedded that the halacha assumes they have some degree of legitimacy. So therefore the Gemara says over here, better to marry a Duma, so a Duma again is a woman who everyone speaks about her immorality, than to marry a Bas Duma, the daughter of a Duma. Why? So we'll say this is fascinating. Shmuel, Shmuel says, Shazu ba mitipa kshera, vizu ba mitipa psula. Because ultimately again, the Duma, the Duma, as inappropriate as her behavior may be, but Lamaisa, again, Lamaisa, she comes, her, her genealogy is intact, right? In other words, the Duma herself is genealogically fit. Her, her behavior is inappropriate, 
but her genealogy ultimately is intact. As opposed to the Bastuma, right? What's the challenge with the Bastuma? If her mother is known to be so immoral, so her paternity, her paternity is in question, and therefore her genealogy is questionable as well. So therefore Shmuel says, fascinating her. Okay, Avi's really talking about someone with a very limited shidduch pool over here. Right? So Lamay say again, if there's a choice between the Duma or the daughter of the Duma, go for the Duma. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, no. Rabbi Yochanan says, incredible. Yisa Adam Bas Duma Va'al Yisa Duma. Rabbi Yochanan says, not true. Not true. Better to go ahead and marry the, Duma, the daughter of the Duma and not the Duma herself. Why? Rabbi Yochanan says, this is incredible. Shezu Omedes Becheskes Kashrus. So Rabbi Yochanan says, one second, it's not, it's not simply about, it's not simply about genealogical fitness, but rather what is it about? The nature and the quality and the character of the person, right? So remember again, the Bastum, the daughter of the Duma, what did she do? In other words, you don't choose your parents, right? So Lamais again, she was born to who she was born to, but as far as we know, she herself has a complete and absolute personal Cheskas Kashros. That's fundamentally different, ultimately, again, than the Duma herself, who doesn't have a Cheskas Kashros. So, we'll say, so, so again, so, we'll say, so why, so let, let's analyze this. So ultimately, again, so why, so why does, why does the Bas Duma have a Cheskas Kashros? So we'll say, we'll see in just a moment. Well, actually, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Shazu, Rabbi Yochanan is also bringing something else up over here, which is Rov which means that the majority, the majority of active relations happen with the husband. That this is a general concept in halacha that even if a woman is immoral, right, we still assume that any pregnancies ultimately again will come from the husband because halacha lamaisa Rov biilos Right? Ultimately, again, we assume that she's still with her husband more than she's with any other man. So therefore, Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yochanan says, the Bas Duma has the Cheskas Kashros, the mother does not. So we'll say, let's analyze. Interesting, Machlokes. So Mesvei, whoever brings it back, he said, no se Adam Duma, right? A man should marry a Duma. And we'll say, here's what's interesting. No se Adam Duma sounds like a Lechatrila. So we'll say, Sigmar raises as a Kasha. This clearly supports, right? This clearly supports Shmuel. And it's a kasha on Rabbi Yochanan, to which the Gemara says, Amar Rabba v'tizbara, no se lechatrila. This whole b'raise obviously is flawed, because it will say, no se sounds like lechatrila. So lechatrila is someone suggesting that a man should marry a duma, to which the Gemara says, ela imnasa. Rather, it means, if you marry. If you marry, such a marriage is legitimate. So once you're changing it to imnasa, change it to what? Bas Duma as well. <laughs> if you're already going to make change to the Raisa, so make more comprehensive changes to the Raisa. So I'll say, so fundamental Fundamentalis, if this is what I'm limited to in the, in the Shidduch pool, between a Duma and a Bas Duma, an immoral woman and the daughter of an immoral woman, who should one marry? Shmuel is saying better to marry the immoral, the Duma, because Lamaisa, you know that she's genealogically fit. The Bas Duma, you really don't know about her genealogy. Rabbi Yochanan is saying no. Better to marry the Bas Duma because she has a Cheskas Kashrus, Cheskas Kashrus, and the mother doesn't have a Cheskas Kashrus. For Hilchasa, so I will say, what is the halacha? Always Hilchasa, Yisa Adam Bas Duma, Va'al Yisa Duma. I will say, the halacha is better to marry the Bas Duma than the daughter herself. Why? Even if woman is immoral, Banak Sherin. Ultimately, again, her children are kosher. Her children are kosher. Why? Rov bi'ilos achar habal. 
because ultimately you're going to say halacha operates with this principle of rov be'ilos achar habal. That even if she is immoral, we assume that the majority of times that she engages in relations, it is with her husband. And therefore halacha lamaisa, therefore halacha lamaisa, her children have a cheskas kashros. So we'll say, so that, that is the halacha lamaisa here. Fascinating. By Rav Amram. So Rav Amram says, what about haisa prutza be'oser mahu? We'll say, what happens if she wasn't just immoral, but she was abundantly immoral? In other words, we'll say, the concept of rov bi'ilos achar habal says that there is still a rov, right? That, that, that's what that operates with. So rov is a halachic concept, right? And rov tells you that there is a halachic majority. The halachic majority makes it as if the minority doesn't exist. Actually, it's actually a fundamental machlokis in rov in general, how rov works. Does Rov negate the identity of the minority? Or does Rov acknowledge the minority, but ultimately tell you that the majority still is the statistical probability? I'll give you a simple example. If you have two kosher pieces of meat mixed together with one non-kosher piece of meat, so I will say, can you eat all three pieces of meat? Right? So again, if you say Rov eclipses the minority, then you should say it makes it as if the minority doesn't exist, you can eat all three. Or though no, or you say no. Rove says that when you pick up a piece of meat, what do we say? What do we say? The statistical probability is that you're picking up a kosher piece of meat. And you could say that ultimately until you get to the last piece of meat, but past just you wouldn't then eat the last piece. We actually saw this in Chulin in our last cycle. We'll get to it again in Meretz Hashem. In any event, the point over here is Rove Bi'ilos Achar Habal says that there is a statistical probability that when she becomes pregnant, it's her husband's child. The so Yomar is asking, what happens if that Rove doesn't exist? That's the Shiloh. What happens if the rove doesn't exist? Why wouldn't the rove exist? Because unfortunately, she is, she is ridiculously promiscuous. What would happen in that situation? So this is actually very interesting. So it was a little bit uh, tied to our smichas chaver, to our smichas chaver, which has an incredibly ashkach to all those who took it. Baruch with over 30 guys in Mishra ended up taking it, and Baruch Hashem is doing great so far. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, so according to the opinion that says that a woman normally becomes pregnant right before she becomes a nida, so the mice again, then loti by the chatz, not a kasha, why? The lo yodaba, because the husband doesn't necessarily know when his wife is going to become a nida, and therefore he can't keep an extra watchful eye on her. Kiti bailacha, so where does Shabbos say? So in other words, if a man knows, well, let's finish up. Kiti bailacha, where does the kasha come up? That a woman normally becomes pregnant right before she goes to the mikvah. My kevan diyada banaturi mintarla, since he knows when she's going to the mikvah, ultimately give an extra watchful eye on her. Oh, dilma kevan the prutsabiyosalo, or no, maybe once someone is incredibly promiscuous. There's no way to keep an eye on them. So we'll say, what the is pointing out over here is as follows. The idea would be that even if Rahmar al-Islam, the husband, knows that his wife is not behaving appropriately, he may try to keep just an extra, extra watchful eye on her at a time that he knows she can become pregnant in order not to compromise the integrity of the family. So there's a machlokis in halach in terms of generally when is a woman most, most fertile? Is it right before she becomes an ida or right before she goes to the mikvah? So if it's right before she becomes an ida, husband doesn't always know when his wife is going to become an ida, and therefore he can't necessarily exert an extra watchful eye over her. On the other side, on the other, on the other hand, if it's before she goes to the mikvah, a husband knows when his wife is going to the mikvah, and therefore he could exert an extra watchful eye over her, which would then mean that even in the event that she is incredibly promiscuous, he may be able to safeguard the genealogical integrity of the family. Therefore, the Gemara says, Teku. 
The Gemara kind of leaves it open. So therefore, I both say, for our purposes over here, for our purposes over here, if there's a choice between a Duma and a Bas Duma, it's important to Allah, so the Gemara says, marry the Bas Duma. Marry the Bas Duma. Why? Because the Bas Duma herself, personally, right, has a Cheskes Kashros, right? She herself, she herself could be a pious and good individual, irrespective of the family she was born into. I, what about her genealogical fitness. So remember again, her genealogical fitness is cared for. What is the genealogical fitness covered by? Rov bi'ilos achar habal. Right? We assume that the majority, the majority of acts is still occur with the husband. Aye, so what happens with a woman who ultimately, again, is incredibly immoral and promiscuous to the point that maybe you don't have the rov? So that the Gemara leaves open-ended. That the Gemara leaves open-ended and enachinami again, that would be a kasha. Fine. Ve'ilu shabesim. So as you remember, again, the Mishnah then went through a series of cases, a series of cases, ultimately, again, where Beisdit administers the kinui, administers the warning on behalf of the husband. So the Gemara says, ish. Pasik says, ish. ish. So we'll say, why does the Pasik say, ish, ish the rabbos, ish es cherish, ve'ish es shota, ve'ish es shiamum. So we'll say, each comes to include the following cases. The wife of a cherish, remember again, a cherish is deaf mute, right? The wife ultimately again of a shota, someone who's deranged or insane. The ish is shamum. So we'll say, shota and shamum are just different, different levels of mental instability. But the common denominator is both of them lack capacity. Both of them lack capacity. So the Gemara says, <coughs> excuse me, a husband was overseas or the husband was incarcerated. So we'll say all of these are cases where the husband is not currently accessible, either not cognitively accessible or not geographically accessible. So what, what's the case? The case is where Beisden sees, Beisden sees that the wife is acting inappropriately. So what does Beisden do? Beisden could administer a warning to these women, right? Now what does the warning do? What does the warning do? So remember again, the warning can't cause them to drink because drinking ultimately again can only be brought about by the husband himself. So what can the warning do? So What the warning can do ultimately again is cause them to lose out on their ksuva. You might have thought, all, so, we'll say, so again, so just to play that out, what that would mean is if Bezid administers a warning and then the woman is in violation of that warning, ultimately, again, that could cause her to lose her ksuva, cause her to forfeit her ksuva. You might have thought maybe such a warning could cause her to drink as well. The Pasuk says the man will go ahead and bring his wife. Which indicates to us what that halacha lemaisa <coughs> that halacha lemaisa. <coughs> I'm sorry that it is only the husband who has the ability to bring his wife to drink. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says aflash gosa. Rabbi Yossi says ultimately again, Bezin could even cause her to drink. And ultimately, you know, say, so ultimately, again, but when does the drinking occur? The drinking occurs ultimately when the husband becomes either of capacity or ultimately gets, becomes geographically or cognitively accessible. So I will say, so a fundamental machlokas. Everyone is agreeing that Bezin has the ability to administer a warning. 
right? The shayla is, what can that warning do? So first opinion says, the only thing that warning could do is cause her to forfeit her ksuva in the event that she violates the warning. Second opinion says, no, it can even cause her to drink. Now, cause her to drink when? When? When the husband becomes accessible to take her to the basement. So they're both like, no, everyone agrees that Basin can never bring a woman to drink. Right? That, that can't happen. But the shayla is, could a warning that Basin gives essentially, so let's say the husband's a shota, and Baruch Hashem is healed, or he's, uh, he's overseas and he comes back. So now a warning has been given, a warning has been violated. Could a husband go ahead and take his wife to the base Hamikdash, ultimately to go ahead <coughs> and cause her to drink based on this warning? So this is the machlokas. So by my kamiflagi, so I will say, what's the machlokas? What's the machlokas? See, here we go. So the Gemara says, Rabbanan Savri, Ba'inon, Vikine, Vehevi. So I will say, the Rabbanan say, you require Vikine, Vehevi, which literally means he warned and he brought. Take a look at Rashi. I will say Rashi is two, four, seven, about eight lines up from the bottom. Vikine vehebi hamakana hamakana law yashkena. So I will say according to the Rabbanon, you need the same person, so to speak, to administer both parts of this process. You need the same person to administer vikina and the same person to administer vehebi. So in other words, if the husband administers the warning, then the husband could bring her to drink. But if the husband doesn't administer the warning, i.e. Beisdin does it, then the husband cannot bring her to drink. That's the position of the Rabbanon. Rabbi Yossi Savar, Rabbi Yossi says, no, you don't need it. You don't need it. In other words, there are two distinct parts of the process. And even if Beisdin does the first part of the process of the Kinui, the husband could do the second part of the process of bringing her to drink. So we'll say fundamental machlokas. So turn Rabbanon, let's analyze so we learned on Rabbanon, Asher Tishte, Asher, good, Asher Tishte Isha Tachas Isha Benitma'a. So the Gemara says, Lahakish Ish Li Isha, Vi Isha Li Ish. So I will say this comes to compare the woman to the man, or I should say the man to the woman, and the woman to the man. So I will say, so the Mayhilch, so I will say, so again, it's quoting, it's quoting, Asher Tishte Isha Tachas Isha. So to remember again, the first Isha is referring to the wife. The second Isha is Ishelo, her husband. So it's comparing the wife to the husband. So how do you, how do you compare the wife to the husband? What does this mean? So the Mahilcha. So Amr Rav Sheshes Kishem, Shem Husuma, Lo Hayamashke. So let's listen to this. To teach us the following. If the husband, some fascinating halachas over here. If the husband was blind, if the husband was blind, he would not, administ- he would not be eligible to administer the Sota waters to her. Why not? Because the, the Pasuk by Sota says she engaged in behavior which was hidden from the eyes of her husband. Was from hidden from the eyes of her husband. So to ultimately again, if she was blind, if she was blind, ultimately she wouldn't drink as well. So I will say, so again, the same way that if he was blind, based on the Pasuk, and what's the whole process of Sota? She's doing something that he can't see. Well, if he is unable to physically see, then he's not subject to the Sota process, or he's ineligible, so to speak, to engage in the Sota process. So too, if she can't see, because remember again, what the Gemara is saying over here is, 
Whatever applies to him applies to her. Whatever applies to her applies to him. So Allah may say again, if he's blind, it makes him ineligible for the Sota process. If she's blind, she, she's ineligible for the Sota process. Ravashi Ravashi says, Kishem, Shechi Geres Vigidemes, Lohaisa Shosa. The same Rabbos say that ultimately, and Chigeres means she doesn't have feet, it doesn't have legs. Right? Kidemes means she doesn't have hands. So if she doesn't have feet or she doesn't have hands, she is ineligible for the Sota process. Why? Dixiv, I will say, I'm a base. Dixiv, sorry. Because I will say, what does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says, the Kohen shall stand the woman before, shall stand the woman before Hashem, and ultimately put the carbon on her hands, her mincha on her hands. So I will say, that Pasuk tells you that the woman has to be able to do two things. Number one, number one, stand. Number two, hold something in her hands. So if she doesn't have feet, or she doesn't have legs, and therefore cannot stand, or she doesn't have hands, and therefore can't hold something in her hands, Lemaisa, she is ineligible for the Sota process. Remember again, it's the reciprocal idea. Whatever applies to her applies to him. Whatever applies to him applies to her. So too, if he was missing feet or hands, he would also be ineligible for the Sota process. If she was unable to speak, if she was mute, she would be ineligible for the Sota process. Why? Because you all say part of the Sota process requires her to what? Answer Amen or Amen Amen. So being unable to answer Amen Amen precludes her from participating in the process. So to him, so to him, so to the husband, if he was mute, he would also be unable to go ahead and participate in the process as well. Fine. So I will say, so that's just this last reciprocal, which is quite interesting. So what about the previous, what about the previous question? What about the question about the kinui of Beisdin? So I will say, so Raman Paskins, that Beisdin does have the ability to deliver a kinui on behalf of the husband. They do have the nerves if they see, if they see uh, the wife acting inappropriately, they do have the ability to offer up the warning. But Lamaisa, again, Lamaisa, the warning, the warning only works to preclude her from collecting suva. ultimately, again, will not work to ultimately cause her to drink. We do subscribe to the drasha, to the Rabbana's drasha of the kine, the hevi, only one who goes ahead, only if the husband delivers the warning, does he have the ability to go ahead and take her to drink. But Lamai said, if he didn't deliver the warning, then all, again, so in a case where let's say he's incarcerated, Bazin delivers the warning, he gets out, the most that violation of the warning could do was to cause her to forfeit her ksuva. But Allah cannot go ahead and trigger the obligation to drink. Incredible, I will say, Hadron Allah, Arusa, Mazatov. Mazatov, Mazatov, I will say, brand new parak. Some very interesting ideas over here. We'll say, so actually, it's, it's actually a, a wonderful segue. You know, Prakim don't necessarily have to be related, but there happens to be an excellent segue over here, because the Messiah can remember, what was the piece we just ended off with? A certain degree of reciprocity in the Sota process. So we'll say, continuing in that, same, in that same theme of reciprocity, so the Mishnah says, Kishem shamayim botkin osa, kachamayim botkin osa. We've made reference to this a number of times already, but here it is explicitly. In the same way that the waters check her, the waters check him as well. Now, I was saying, 
Now here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. What's missing from the Mishnah? What's missing from the Mishnah? Who's the him? Who's the him? Remember again, there are two hymns in this in this Sotan narrative, right? What one of the two hymns? Hymn number one. Hymn number one ultimately again is the husband. Hymn number two hymn number two is the adulterer. So we'll see the interesting discussion. The Pashtas we assume is talking about the adulterer, right? Because the adulterer is the one who went ahead and committed the crime. So if Lamaisa, again, the waters are going to check her, they should check the adulterer as well. Although maybe what the mission is teaching us, I will say is, listen, if a man is going to subject his wife to this process, right, to this level of moral scrutiny, so the husband better have his house in order also. I will say, whatever, whatever you're going to go ahead and demand of someone else, so Lamaisa, again, you have to be ready to go ahead and live up to that same level of expectation as well. So again, we'll discuss exactly who the who is, Fine. But nevertheless, We'll say ultimately again, We'll say over here. It says Right? Bo is plural. Right? Literally again, it's two comings. Right? Two comings. In other words, so Bo, it will come plural. Fine. So, And we'll say in the same way, if a Sota is found guilty, so the same way she is, Asur, she's prohibited to her husband. She's also prohibited to the adulterer. Shenemar Because the Torah uses the lashon of, it doesn't just say nitma'a, but rather it says v'nitma'a. So remember again, the context of the Pasuk is, Zos taras haknoz, asher tiste isha tachas isha v'nitma'a. So we'll say, if a woman is indeed found to be a soda, not, so, so nitma teaches me that she's prohibited to her husband. Vav, there we'll say, that vav is extra. So in general, whenever you see an extra vav, that is always ripe for a drasha. And therefore, halacha lamaisa teaches me that she can go ahead and she, she becomes prohibited to the boel, to the adulterer as well. We'll say, I'll just, dear Rabbi Akiva, we'll say, I'll just, I'll just point out something very, very beautiful. There is a piece, a saw piece by So the Rebbe says you learn a very important episode from this opening phrase of the Mishnah of Kishim Shamayin Bodkin Osa, Kachamayin Bodkin Oso. We're using the same way that the water checks and the water checks her. So I say, so get, get ready for this. So the Rebbe writes, he says, Tam, Masha Chasidim Shosin Mashke, Af Shalobif Neachola, Utfilasam Ose Pri Tnuva. So I will say, by the Hasidim, the Rebbe writes, it's a big thing to make a Lechayim. And I will say, I will say that, that by the Hasidim, so making a Lechayim is not just having a drink. I've mentioned this a number of times. Making a Lechayim is a bracha that you give to someone. Right? Like Lechayim, in other words, when you drink a Lechayim with another Jew, you're giving that person a bracha. Right? You say Lechayim. Ultimately, again, you should have a good life. It's a bracha. So the Rebbe says, sometimes when you hear that someone is ill, you make a Lechayim to them. You make a l'chaim to them. Now, I understand why a bracha should work when you are in the presence of someone else, right? You give someone else a bracha, that's a direct, direct dialogical connection. The bracha like that. But yet, the Rebbe says, it works to make a l'chaim for another Jew, even not in their presence. Even not in their presence. So ultimately, again, from where do you see a concept that making a l'chaim it for someone works even not in their presence. So the Rebbe says, "Dematzino betora eitzel sota vehishke as hamayim kishem shamayim boltkin as haisha 
Kena Mayim Botkin Esaish. So the Rebbe says the source for this is Sota. So we'll say what happens? The Isha Sota drinks the water in the Beis HaMikdash. And what does the Mishnah say? What does the Mishnah say? The same way the water drinks her, drinks her. The same way the water tests her, we'll, we'll go with the adulterer for now. The water tests him. The adulterer, wherever he is as well. So what do you see from here? An act of drinking by a Jew in one place has an impact on a Jew in a different place. And the rabbi says, listen to this. So he says, Right, you see from here that drinking something in one place has an effect on a Jew in another place. And the rabbi says, we know that the midah tova, right, the midah of good, Always, always outflanks, always outweighs the meat of negativity. Isn't this beautiful? So clearly, if the sota, if it's going to work to make a sota l'chaim, right, essentially, right, if it's going to work for the sota to drink the water in the base of Mikdash, and it's going to check her adultery wherever he is, then the Rebbe says the ability to make a l'chaim in someone's zuchos, even if they are not present, certainly helps as well. I say, is that not absolutely incredible? Right? So the, if anyone ever asks you, what's the makar that a, that a l'chaim works for someone's benefit, even if they're not in geographic proximity? Mishnah, Mesech HaSolta, Chav Zayinam If the Sota l'chaim works to go ahead and judge the adult wherever he is, certainly a l'chaim for the benefit of another Jew absolutely works wherever he or she may be as well. Incredible. I'm Rabbi Yeshua. So remember again, back to Rabbi Akiva. Right? Rabbi Akiva's drasha. Rabbi Akiva's drasha ultimately again was vinitma, since it's written in longer form. So vinitma ultimately teaches me that she becomes asr, asura, to the bow and to the boil in the event that she is guilty. I'm Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua says, Zechariah ben Akatsov. Zechariah ben Akatsov ultimately went ahead and darshined the same way. Rabbi, Rabbi, he, he said as follows, Rabbi Omer, Shnei pa'ma amur be'parasha, nitma'a v'nitma'a, echad l'ba'a ve'echad l'ba'a. So I'll say, all the Yimah is saying over here, all the Mishnah is saying over here, is that halach l'maysa, before Rabbi Akiva, Zechariah ben Akatsav already made this same drasha. Good. So I'll say, so, so far, two halachas in our Mishnah. Halacha number one, let's go to Pashib Shat, the same way the water checks the sota. The water checks the man with whom she committed adultery. That's number one. Number two, Vinit Ma'at teaches me, Rabbi Akiva and Zechai ben Akazov, that Allah again, that Allah she is asur to the Baal, to her husband, and to the Baal, to the adulterer. Incredible. Next, Bobayom. Let's give a little introduction over here. On that day, on that day, now what's that day? So I say, take a look at Rashi. This is incredible. Bobayom Darash, Bemeseches Brachas. So I will say, Rashi over here says, this is referencing a very specific episode, which we learned in Masechus Brachas. What did the Gemara say? Amir and Dechol Eichad Tani Boba Yom, Hu Yom Shoh Shivas, Rav Allah Zabin Azariah, the Nasius, Shenis Rabu Tamidim, Shenasnu Rishus Likanis, Lakal, Shahayat Rabbi Gamil Omer, Kol Tamit Chacham, Shein Tocho Kibaro, Al Yikanis Lebeis HaMesh. I will say, listen to this. We are familiar with the story. We actually just referenced it at the Seder. At the Seder on Pesach, so let's say we're familiar with the story where Rabbi Gamliel was deposed, right? Rabbi Gamliel was removed from his position as the Nasi, and he was replaced with Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. 
Right, young Rabbi Elizabeth Ben Azariah. Rabbi Ben Azariah made a number of different changes that first day that he was in position. I was saying, it's interesting that in leadership in general, there's a fascinating, is a fascinating like leadership machlokis. When you come into a new leadership position, how quickly should you, uh, how quickly should you implement change? Right. In other words, should change? Should, is there change? Is it good to make change immediately, or is there conventional wisdom like you know, no, 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 sit tight, sit tight, like learn a little bit, understand a little bit. And then ultimately, again, make the change gradually and perhaps a little bit. So Elizabeth and Azariah did both, but he felt that there were certain changes that needed to be implemented immediately. One of the first things he did was Rabbi Gamliel had stationed a guard by the door of the base Nedrish. Right? Remember again, he had said, any kibara. In other words, only genuine Tamidi Chachamim. Literally, again, any Tamidi whose inside is like his, whose right? Who's, whose inside is like his outside. In other words, Genuine piety could come in. So we'll say, so obviously, there are not a lot of people in the base medrash. The first thing that Elizabeth Ben Azariah did is he removed the guard from the base medrash. And again, they say that day, they had to add in benches and benches in the base medrash because there was such an influx of people that day. So Rashi says over here, for Rab Satorah Bobayom, so we'll say, listen to this. There was such a proliferation of Torah that first day because there was such a tidal wave of people coming into the base medrash that first day. Supposed to listen to this. And there was such a surge of Torah that there was no question that remained that remained unanswered that day. There is no question that remained unanswered that day. So I will say, is that not ab- absolutely incredible? Absolutely incredible. So I will say, so therefore the Gemara says, Rashi points out over here, Whenever you see the phrase Bo Bayom on that day, that day refers to this day. That day refers to the day that Rabbi Loza ben Azariah took away the guard from the Beis HaMikdash and ultimately allowed everyone entry into the Mikdash. Uh, sorry, into the Beis Medrash. Into the Beis Medrash. So Bo Bayom Dabr Shabbat Yakiva. So also Rabbi Yakiva Darsh in that day. He said, Ukli Charas Asheri Palmeim El Tocho. Right, an earthenware vessel. Anything, anything that falls into a klicheres, yitma, ultimately again becomes tame. Becomes tame. So the Gemara says, okay, so what says now? Remember again, a klicheres, a klicheres itself can become tame through its airspace. Right? Ultimately, so what is the Gemara talking about? So, Ino Omer Tomei, so we'll say, it doesn't say the Klicharis will become Tomei, rather it says, Ela Yitma. It says the Klicharis will what? Klicharis will what? Convey Tomo. So, what's the case? Letame Achirim. Lamara Kikarsheni Shemetame Asashlishi. Teaching us a very important halacha, we'll say, namely, that a Kikarsheni ultimately again could go out and make a Shlishi. Now, we'll say, now what's, what's the case over here? The case of Rabbi says as follows. If you could imagine for a moment, if you have a klicheres, and ultimately, again, something tummy falls into the klicheres. Let's say, for example, for illustration purposes, because what the Mishnah is using, let's say we're talking about an earthenware oven. An earthenware oven. So imagine for a moment you have an earthenware oven. There is a b- loaf of bread, b- there is a loaf of bread baking inside that earthenware oven. Right? So lemaisa again. So lemaisa, so lemaisa, um, so lemaisa, now you have a loaf of bread. Something tummy now comes into that oven. So I will say, so what ends up happening? So the oven, right after it comes in contact with the tummy item, becomes ultimately again a rishon. The oven then goes ahead and makes the bread 
a sheni, and now the bread has the ability to convey tuma to something else and make it a shlishi. Progression of tuma, right? Tuma being the av, the source of tuma. Let's say a sheretz falls in. Sheretz falls onto the oven, makes the oven a rishon. Rishon conveys tuma to the bread. Bread is a sheni. Bread has the ability to convey a tuma to a third item called a shlishi. Okay. Fine. So I'll say again, obviously we'll expound that in the Gemara. I'm never sure. Mi yegala aframei necha, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So I'll say, so Rabbi Yoshua said, Rabbi Yoshua, when he heard this halacha, said, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who will go ahead and clear the dust from your eyes? And I will say, now remember again, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had already passed away. So this was saying, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, if you can only come back from the grave and see, this is a good thing, this is a good statement, and see what was, what's happening now. Shayisa Omer, because Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai used to say, you said a future generation will come and say that a kikar shlishi, right? A loaf of bread that is a shlishi for Tumah ultimately is tar. Why? Because I will say there doesn't seem to be any pasuk from the Torah which supports the concept of a shlishi. But yet Rabbi Akiva, your Talmud, Brings a scriptural proof that in fact the shlishi is tamei shene amar kol asher b'socho yitma. Because Rabbi say again, he says anything that's in the oven yitma will convey tumah to something else. So Rabbi say so again. Th- this is talking about you have to understand something. On that day, that bo bayom, there was such like like a total revolution that occurred. So here's like another example of this. Rabbi Akiva's darshaning. Rabbi Akiva's darshaning that the bread, the bread which is a shani, can make something a shlishani. Based on the positive. Rabbi Yeshua says, oh my gosh, Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai, if only you could be here to see this. Because you always said, at some point in time, someone's going to say a shlishi is tar. Why? Because there's no pasuk that teaches me about a shlishi. And now, on that very day, Rabbi Akiva, your student, comes and brings a pasuk to support the shlishi. I will say, really, really incredible idea. Bo bayom, Akiva. On that day, on that day, Rabbi Akiva darshan. So I will say, all, all that same bo bayom. Umado semichutz layer as paaskim apayim ba'ama. So I will say, here the pasuk is talking about as follows. Pasuk is talking about over here this concept of leaving two thousand amas outside of the city, right? Leaving out two thousand amas outside of a city, just on yeah, leaving two thousand amas. Umikra acher omer, mikira ir vechutza elafama. I have another pasuk that says, ultimately, how much do I have to leave? I have to go ahead. I'm say, this is, I'm sorry, let me clarify. Something by, by the Levitic cities. By the Levitic cities. So one pasuk says, you have to leave 2,000 amas open. Another pasuk says, you leave 1,000 amas. So what's going on over here? To which the Yimar says, Eif shalomar elef amashikvar neamar apayim. You can't say you only have to leave 1,000 because it already says 2,000. You can't say 2,000 because it already says 1,000. So we'll say, what's going on over here? One is, what do you do with the space outside of the Levitic cities? So Gemara says, So how, how, do you, how do you reconcile this? So we'll say, listen to this. Listen to this. So we'll say, here's the distinction. It's 1,000 Amas ultimately, again, is considered to be Migrash. Migrash ultimately again is open area, and then a thousand, two thousand amas is tshum shabbos. So the first answer is it's two separate halachas. First halacha is coming to teach me that the tshum shabbos, the shabbos boundary is two thousand amas. We know this halacha we saw this in shabbos. That is the amount that you are permitted to travel fr- from the edge of habitation. 
So let's say habitation ends at the edge of the city. You could travel 2,000 almas past the edge of the city. The second halakha teaches me, ultimately, again, 1,000 amas should be left open area. Right? There's like a halacha of leaving, leaving park area, open area by the cities of the Levi. In fact, it means something a little bit different. It means it should be 1,000 amma ultimately open space, and the other 1,000 amas ultimately could be fields and vineyards. So say, on the outskirts of the Levitic cities, you're supposed to have 2,000 amas of space that you're not building on. What do you do with the 2,000 amas of space? 1,000 amas is just left, open area. Open area. Second thousand amas ultimately is, you can use it for whatever you want, but agricultural purposes, not building purposes. Incredible. Right, we'll say beautiful Gemara. On that day, Rabbi Akiva, sorry, that day, same idea, all of this happening on that same day. Rabbi Akiva Darsh, he said as follows. So we'll say, Apostolic says, then Moshe and Bnei Yisrael will sing this song, Vayomru. And they said, so we'll say, Lamar, so the verse is Vayomru, Lamar, Shvayomru Lamar, Shein Tamalomar Lamar, Umat Tamalomar Lamar. So we'll say, it's repetitive. It should just say Vayomru. Why does it have to say Vayomru Lamar? Right? They said saying. What's that second Lamar for? Melamin, so we'll listen to this. Shahayu Yisrael Onin Shira Akharav Shalmosha. So I'll call Dover Vidavar Kikorna Sahala. So we'll say, it means that whatever Moshe Rabbeinu said, Saw repeated, right? It was done, the shira was uttered in a repetitive fashion, the same way we recite halal. Lemar. So what's is actually interesting. So essentially the adaption of the Pasuk is, so it says, right? So, the lemar ultimately means whatever Moshe Rabbeinu said, they repeated, just like the reading of halal. Rabbi Nechem, Yom Nechem, he says, no, no, no. Kekorin es shma, velo kekorin ba'asa halal. No, no, they didn't read it like halal, rather they read it like shma. And they both say, from the Mishnah, I, we don't know the difference. What, what does that mean? They're, like they said it like halal, they said it like shma. So obviously we'll see, we'll see ultimately again in the Gemara what it means. But I will say, what we do emerge with is that last lemar is teaching us about how Cloud Yisrael ultimately went ahead and responded to the shira of Moshe Rabbeinu. Incredible. We'll see, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll, we'll stop over here for today. We'll leave this last part of the Mishnah, Emir Tashem, uh, for, for tomorrow. Actually, let's just read a little bit more. Boba Yom. Darash, 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 Rabbi Yeshua Ben. Actually, let's leave it. Let's, we'll stop over here. Again, we did good. We did good. I think it's a short enough tomorrow. Anyway, yeah, very short enough tomorrow. I'm a days. I'm a days. It's very short. So let's stop over here. So just, just to share with you. Uh, sorry.